all the Outlook notifications, little dogs are silent because I do have a little dog. We have a three-month-old baby in the other yeah. room, so oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, already apologizing for this. Okay, so so just like the dog, you have to make sure you train the baby not to make any noise during the podcast. <laughs> exactly, I try to. Did, did you did you put her in the crate as well, just like my wife did with Frida? <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wolt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey JM, how are you doing today? Not too bad, Roland. I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's actually I'm feeling up about things. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world that makes you seem sad, but man, I I just have I gotta have hope, and that hope is is really getting me through these days. How how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing fine, and and to be quite honest, I'm super excited today because obviously I like to work in teams, as you know, and yeah. uh, the topic of today is actually how to select the right team for your architecture program. Whoa, that seems hard. <laughs> I got to be honest, I've been involved in a few different hiring decisions and man, it really churns my stomach to try and think, is this person the right one? Will they have all these things? Well, is that person the right one? It's like, I'm, I, I feel like I'm going to regret the decision. I, I always love people too much. So I'm like, I can't choose because I like you both. <laughs> well, maybe make you make it a little bit easier for me. Help, help me out here. Well, and I guess. In I, a, I know we have a guest, right? Yes, yes, we do. And I guess in about an hour, you will be smarter. You know, this will be a non-issue. Oh. Having All said right. that, uh, let me introduce you to Ansgar Bittermann, um, our guest for today. And Ansgar, no pressure on you, right? So you got an hour to convince <laughs> us about your approach. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Ansgar. Thank you very much for having me today. Welcome from Berlin. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this topic has got to be something that everyone's thinking about. You know, this is the time of the great resignation, but those people aren't just resigning to leave and you know, never have a job again, they're going to come and get another job somewhere else. And so in a time of great change, uh, we rely on people like you to help us understand what it takes to be worth and you know, worth investing in as a part of a team and the, the right fit for the team that you're looking to join. So first and foremost, I, I want to get a little bit of background on you because I know a lot of things you're going to say today come from a position of, of a, a huge amount of research and a lot of work that's, been, that's gone into making these models make sense. So first and foremost, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What's your background that, that sort of brought you to this idea, this, uh, this expertise that you focused on? All right. Uh, well, I, I originally have a master in psychology from the second oldest institute of psychology in the world, uh, from Göttingen. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Germany. You might hear that. And uh, Germany and Austria, they're very, you know, very famous for psychology. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years after that, I also acquired the license to practice psychotherapy according to the Heilpraktiker Gesetz here in Germany. Um, but my focus, I mean, psychology is a very broad field. And a lot of people, when they hear that you're a psychologist, they think that you're a therapist. And uh, But that's not really true. Normally, you add another education of five years to become a full-fledged uh, 
uh, psychotherapist. So yeah. already five to six years of psychology plus five years of therapy. Um, so my focus of in, in the field of psychology was mostly um, was mostly uh, assessing people. And uh, my personal interest is in nonverbal communication because these are you know, nonverbal cues you see and then you can infer some sort of intention. But uh, just a quick reminder what, what psychology basically is. It developed out of philosophy. You know, we're trying to uh, answer the great questions of life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a free will? Uh, what can you hope for? Um, you know, what should you do? You know, the Kantian questions, we try to answer that. So a lot of psychologists, we are idealists, but uh, we try to give ourselves some frame in which we work. And, and this is very, very close to enterprise architecture uh, because we try to solve these big questions with uh, data and science. Hmm. So so that that's what we do. And, um, you know, a lot of statistics get, uh, get uh, into our questions. Yeah. And as you know, Ansgar, here on our podcast, we do have a soft spot in our heart for Germans with a psychology degree. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I heard you have a minor. Yeah, in, uh, you have psychology. a minor in psychology. So mm, it happens. <laughs> It's yeah, happening. I have, I have okay, nothing. <laughs> Reaching to the choir here. Yeah, the, yeah, I think I sat through one psychology class where the, the professor got up at the front and he went, what is time? And I was like, it's time for me to get the heck out of here. That's what it is. <laughs> well, I, to be very honest, you know, I had, I had my epiphany. I was, I think, 16 or 17. And I once a month I went to this uh, uh, philosophy seminar and uh, you know, it was a time of uh, Sophie's choice. And, you know, I really liked philosophy. And then one time they invited um, a cognitive psychologist and he literally bashed all the philosophers in the room and said, OK, we did this and this experiment here. You see it on the graphs. Here's the data. You know, free will is a, is a myth. And uh, it really touched me. And I thought, like, OK, I want to study that. And uh, so, you know, basically psychology, it's half of it is uh, data science and, you know, I think 11 semesters or five and a half years of statistics we study and then uh, the rest, um, you know, we're doing uh, content. And uh, one of the thing there uh, is also test theory, test construction, which we are going back later. And um, so my master thesis was actually, I, I wrote an algorithm to, um, to put a camera on two people who are talking and then I tried to infer their intentions based on their body language. Hmm. Yeah. So, so not just facial expressions, because, you know, you can control a lot of facial expressions, but you can't really control, you know, your leg movement or the way you move your hips. So, and then I got my taste for, you know, experimenting on that. It's funny when you're describing some of the things you're doing, I don't know if you've seen Blade Runner, but this feels a lot like the Voidkampf test where you're (laughs) analyzing the, you know, you, you see a turtle and you, it's left on its back. What do you do? And it's like, well, you're a, you're a replicant. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, in, in the end, it's it's super interesting, and uh, but but it's not something. I mean, it's something what people did all their life. You know, people judge everybody since the beginning of time. You know, and uh, I mean, the first thing man was uh, was being done to is being judged by God. You know, so um, you know. We, but but the thing is that people mostly judge others uh, on a very very you know, uh, low level, and uh, mm-hmm. they're mostly wrong. And uh, so what we do in psychology is we try to, and now comes the scientific terms, you know, we try to 
have what we observed. That's we call it the observed variable or the observed value, and we compare it to the real value. So basically, I look at you and um, or I give you a test and let's say test about your personality. So and then you know in psychology, what we do is um, this concludes my discussion about what is psychology. <laughs> you know, we try to we try to observe. Um, something or a variable and infer to a real uh, real variable and over time we try to optimize that um, so that the delta between these two values is actually minimalized and this is basically what machine learning is also doing yeah which brings me to another very interesting topic because i know um, that you also use your knowledge and your affinity to algorithms and ai and machine learning and uh, not only are you making a living out of it which i'm pretty sure we'll talk about in half a second but you're also running a podcast which jm and i had the honor to be a guest on a couple of months ago uh, which is the ai pocketbook so um can you talk a little bit about that how is that going for yes. you Uh, well, the, um, I, I started it when I did a course in the MIT and I, I met a lot of very interesting people and I thought like, how can I keep, you know, keep in touch with them? And uh, so I thought like, wow, they're coming from all over the world. Um, let's let's do a weekly, weekly Zoom call. And out mm -hmm. of this weekly Zoom call, this podcast developed because we thought, you know, we're not recording what we are talking about. And uh, so we focus on uh, topics about AI, how to implement AI. It's not not like that we are talking about specific algorithms, uh, because that is something you know a lot of people are not really interested in. Um, we are focusing about uh, topics: how can we implement AI? What is the right team uh, to use AI? What are the right project management methods to implement AI in your company? Mm -hmm. And um, so, so that's what the podcast is all about. It's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I learn every uh, every day uh, new things. And uh, you know, it gives me the chance to have uh, uh, guests like you uh, to come on the show <laughs> and get to know you. Otherwise, you know, it would be called stalking. But then it's just <laughs> uh, but we're happy. We're happy to support you in your efforts, and we're happy to have you on our podcast today. But before we go into the actual meat of the conversation that we have when we're going to talk about how to select a team and all these things, mm. let's talk a little bit more about you as a person. So what are your hobbies, your interests? Do you have any bucket list items that you want to do before you go to the farm up north? Or <laughs> what are your plans <laughs> on your personal side? Um. I'm not planning to go to the farms that that early, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm originally uh, I was born in Germany, but uh, I moved to the U.S. when I was 15, 16. Mm. Uh, so I lived in Hawaii, um, which for me is an amazing melting pot. You know, it's it's a melting pot between East and West, and uh, it gave me a nice introduction to the American. Uh, school system and the uh, introduction to an American standardized testing system. And um, and after that, um, you know, I went back to, to Europe, but then, you know, I moved a lot uh, through Europe. Uh, so I lived in Switzerland, um, Austria, Bulgaria, Poland, uh, UK, and then now we're in Berlin. Um, so I'm living here with my family and uh, my personal interest is next to AI is I like history because I think uh, people people need roots and they need to know where they're coming from so uh, this is uh, and in my, my spare time I write 
I write novels, and um, so oh. that, that's you know that's my uh, you know that's the that's the how do you call it in Germany the Ausgleich. How do you call it? Oh, yeah, yeah, to have a balance. Yeah. Yeah, that's my balance, yeah. you know, to write uh, history novels. Um, yeah, so but that's that's what I do. On my bucket list, I really want to go to Machu Picchu and uh, because mm. I'm fascinated with uh, with walls. You know, if you if you see ancient walls, um, that's that's amazing how they build it. And um, you know, I always wanted to go to Machu Picchu to the original walls which were built on top of uh, which were under the uh, the temples there so um, yeah i'm fascinated with ancient uh, antediluvian walls so maybe we see <laughs> each other at some point in time because one of my bucket list items is to drive down the pan-american highway and obviously that goes through peru as well well then let's do that let's do that <laughs> yeah let's, it, it'd be a, a very fun rolling an onscar at uh, machu picchu i i, I tell you I, I have been there and it is incredible well that's, that's wonderful onscar i I'm, I'm really glad to hear a, lo a lot of your story and your background i think that that also gives a lot of weight to what you're going to say today because i think that the messages you bring forward are about using science mm -hmm. to help explain humanity Yes, and that's a, that's a difficult conversation to have. Um, so to know that what what you're coming at it from the perspective of is is from a lot of research and particularly from a very diverse set of research backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just a single threaded. It's not just an ivory tower from where you where you've you sort of sat and and judged all beneath you, but rather <laughs> quite the opposite. It seems like you've you sort of integrated yourself with a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of different research backgrounds, a bunch of different situations and organizations, and That's going to lead us to our, our, our very first and I think the big question um, that we're going to start the conversation off today with, which is selecting a team. Um, mm. Because as, as we talked about, there's a lot of movement happening, particularly right now in, in the architecture space. And a lot of managers are really struggling to um, get the right people, keep the right people, build functional and, and you know top performing teams. We had a podcast before um, where somebody, one of our guests said, you know, we, we don't want to hire, um, you know, be players. We only want to hire superstars. We only want to hire the best people who are going to work together the best to make something. So tell me about your approach. Um, what, what do you try to do with, you know, testing and um, in general using psychology as a feeder for excellent human resources? Yeah. I mean, there's um, in psychology, th this question has been, you know, discussed for over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so the, the theories I'm, 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 I'm using, they're pretty, pretty well developed. You know, they, they, they uh, roughen the edges a lot. Um, so what I'm doing, when we, when, we look at, uh, when we look at teams, the one question is what should these teams be, uh, you know, what is, the, what is the basic function a person needs to be the superstar in, uh, in these teams. And what yeah. we see is that um, a mixture of personality and cognitive abilities, if we can assess a person before they join the team in these two areas, combined a little bit with motivation, you know, what, what's the what, what drives a person? So if we look at these three areas um, and assess them on, in these areas, then we have a very, very good idea of who will perform well and who won't. It helps us a lot because these tests, when we do them, um, you know, cognitive abilities, uh, we test them in two and a half hours, uh, personality in, in 30 minutes. So basically, 
it's three hours plus a few more tests when it comes to attention. Uh, so let's say three and a half hours of testing. And then we have a very, very good predictor if somebody will be a good team player or not. Yeah, I do have a question to, just to bring it back. So sure. we're not only talking about selecting new people. No. We're also talking about, as, as we all know, small companies don't have the luxury of hiring everybody under the sun. It's also finding the right person in your current organization that you have that fits the team. Is that is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Just imagine you're a CEO, you're, uh, you join a new company with, I don't know, 30, mm -hmm. 40 people, and you have your magical 100 days. The reality is you don't have your 100 days. I mean, you join on Monday and on Thursday, you have to make the first decisions. Mm -hmm. So you have a very, very limited amount of time where you have to make very, very crucial decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we can screen existing teams, existing companies, um, and make a landscape or make a map for uh, for the supervisors or the CEOs or, or head of departments to see where can we place a person uh, so that it fills that role the best. You, you talked about the great resign. Why is that? Before the great resign, we had studies where it says that you know, up to 80% of the people don't feel well in the role they are having right now. 80%. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's uh, four out of five people are not fit to the role they're in. When we are testing for personality or, you know, or, or cognitive abilities, it's not about being good or being bad. It's about does that person fit in that specific role? And mm -hmm. to add a little bit more complexity, when you have a small team um, or if you have a team, a uh, bigger team, then you have to see that um, certain team members are actually complementing each other in their different uh, personalities. And, and that is something uh, very interesting where a lot of people are not looking for. So when I think about what you just said, you know, the, the 80% who are disengaged and, and don't fit into the role, um, I would assume that the minority of the organizations do have proper role profiles. So when I think about our audience, you know, think about architects or think about in your field, uh, AI, um, how would such a profile look like? What do you actually look for um, when defining those roles? Because it's obviously not just the tasks that somebody has to do, because otherwise everybody would want to work for Starbucks where everything is very, very organized and By the, by the playbook. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I started off with AI and now we extended actually our services to other companies because we realized everybody's needing that. So, and, you know, first we just offered the tests and then we, and then I always ask for the job description and many mm -hmm. job descriptions came back, you know, half empty. And I realized they never really sat down and um, analyzed The, the, the role they want to uh, fill. So what, what I do, I actually go to the companies and I sit down with them and we go to make it like an uh, input-output model. You know, so, and I sit down with them. It's a CPOC model. It's so, okay, the uh, person gets a stimulus. You know, just imagine a, a employee sitting on their desk. When are they moving? Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of stimulus mm -hmm. is coming in? So, and then, what does the stimulus is actually doing with that person? What kind of output should that person uh, do? And how do I control that output? 
So, and you know, you're very, very close to uh, uh, to Lean or, or Six Sigma oper uh, operational approach to HR. So, and then once we have the CPOC model, we we deduct basically a job description out of it. And uh, so if somebody says, okay, he has to respond a lot or she has to respond a lot to emails or calls or has to be, um, you know, multitasking, then then based on that, we are looking for somebody who is able to, to do multitasking or, you know, in our personality profile there, for example, um, able to, to be emotionally stable because we know that multitasking is very stressful for a lot of people. Uh -huh. so, so, so I sit down with them. Uh, we do uh, tasks. We do personal requirements. We do personality requirements. We look at the team, which is already existing. So then we deduct the personality profile from the existing team so that they fit. And then we have a very nice job uh, description. And out of that job description, we deduct another, it's called a structured interview with the mostly know, HR manager or secretary or is, is having with uh, the candidates. Because what, uh -huh. what I see is most of the qualified people are not lost in the interview with the CEO. They're lost in the interview with the secretary. You know, oh, interesting. Or the intern. You know, if you have a company, I mean, we're focusing on, on small and medium companies. So medium in Germany means up to 1,000 people. But we see that in, in small companies, they don't have HR at all, right? So what do they do? They have the intern pre-selecting uh, pre profiles wherever they find them. And then they get 50 out of them. First of all, the question is, what kind of keywords are they looking for? Um, so, you know, the intern is then uh, able to select the keywords for themselves. So, uh, you know, it, when you really look, it's very sad, these kind of processes. So, so we go in there and, you know, we, we teach people what kind of keywords they look for. We, we define with them what kind of, uh, you know, text uh, messages they should write and uh, whom not to uh, throw out, you know, because what we see is um, that somebody is, for example, shy, you know, but on the other hand, uh, has a high uh, cognitive abilities. They're not doing well in these initial interviews with, you know, the initial initial uh, interviewers. So um, that's that's why it's so important to do this proper testing so that you keep the high-profile people, which are maybe not good salespeople, you know, selling themselves in the beginning, mm -hmm. and um, and and to give everyone a chance, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. We had a conversation with um, with Jason a couple episodes ago about that exact kind of topic. Uh, you, we asked the question, you know, how does somebody who maybe isn't a great communicator uh, in verbal communication sell themselves for a position that they might be excellent for, but explaining it is hard, or they're, they're not naturally an, ex, an extrovert, um, if you think about it in the in like that in that sort of MBTI context. Um, and he was like, the best way to do it is be brilliant at the basics, which I think was a really good answer from a recruiting perspective. But from the opposite, from a selection perspective, that seems like you're trying to account for that bias in the mechanisms of selection on the recruitment side on the side of the the employer or the prospective employer i mean i i wanted to 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 loop back on the cost of this um conceptually like what happens when you don't look at this i mean i know we've talked about the great resignation and the disconnection and roland and i exchange a lot of text messages about this idea of disconnected experienced employees i mean what other costs do you see companies paying by not having this approach to recruiting and to team evaluation and construction? Well, um, 
if you think about it, a normal interview, and what I mean normal is, or interview process, you write something yourself and you, you, know, you, you don't have the assessment tools we are using. Uh, we're looking at 5 to 25% success rate. Oh, yeah. that's not that's not good at all. No, it's between seven. So you know, if you flip it around, it's seventy-five to ninety-five percent. Um, you know, it's not good. Wasted so, but time, yeah. It's wasted Oof. time, but but that means I mean, this number is reflected in eighty percent feeling not well. So I mean, the one thing you have, you have a lot of uh, people uh, leaving the company, uh, or they are they are quitting internally, as we call it. You know, they're not highly motivated, they are passive, maybe they're passive aggressive, you know, uh, and they're at, at the end of the day, the whole company is suffering. So me being the professional uh, deformatted, is that a word, JM, um, <laughs> person, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking process in the back of my mind, right? So yeah. if I understand you correctly, uh, I think we've established that homegrown approaches to team selection and uh Uh, hiring uh, with a very high probability hit or miss. Um, But then I hear the first step is, well, look at the original team that's already there and the people who are in there. Uh, Second, create the profiles um, Mm -hmm. for those jobs that you have to staff. Uh, And then the third one is then go into testing or what is the next step in that process? Well, the next step, what I always like is to do skill testing first. You know, so at, at the end of the day, you know, who cares if somebody's brilliant if he can't do the task? So um, and, and that mostly weaves out a lot of people because, you know, they, they apply for 100 jobs. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, if you tell them, OK, now it's skill testing time. And then depending on the role, what the skill testing is, maybe you do presentation, maybe you do coding, uh, maybe you do math. Um, and then it's a good good thing to develop these kind of skill tests with the teams I'm working with because they really have to sit down and say, okay, what is what should that person actually be doing? What is a transformational team? You know, what are they doing the whole day long? Mm-hmm. And um, and then the skills, depending on the role, you know, you do skill testing. Either we do it via Zoom or uh, uh, or they people come inside of the company and they're doing it for half a day or day. Uh, or we send them something and they just uh, give the uh, skill test back. Once they've been doing that, then we go into the, well, before that we had this structured interview, you know, for these key things. For example, I need somebody who has five years of experience mm-hmm. and then that person only had two. So we just leave them out. Um, and, and then after the skill testing, we go into the assessment and to the uh, psychological assessment. And um, after that, um, the the skill plus the psychological assessment is presented to uh, the CEO, head of, or whoever is responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And then we discuss all the, you know, the green flags and the red flags. Yeah, I find that very interesting because I think there's two aspects that you haven't mentioned. And uh, one is uh, motivation, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. how does, to say JM's words, how does the candidate sell him or herself. And I, I remember Jason in the, the previous podcast saying, well, your first interview, it's all about motivation, right? You want to show that you want this job. The, the second thing is, it's more like a personal pet of mine. Uh, I like uh, the, the method of assessment center, right? That might be because of my history. It was invented in the Reichswehr in the 20s, blah, blah. <laughs> and I did uh, uh, a class in university. 
as part of my psychology minor where we did assessment center and I was one of those observers and, and all these things. And I like to see how people actually behave, which is different than doing tests. Um, is that also something that you include in your tests? And if so, how? Okay, so we have to differentiate the word assessment. Um, every psychological test is an assessment. Mm -hmm. um, in the business world, um, assessment centers were very popular at a certain point in time, which some people, uh, some companies are still doing them. But assessment center means you invite somebody uh, and they are there for two or three days yeah. and uh, they do tasks and then they're being observed. What we see in, I mean, I've, I've done fair share of my own assessment centers. You know, it's always fun. But, and that is unfortunately uh, the big uh, but here, um, they are not reliable. Oh, interesting. So, really? Yes. And uh, the problem is, if you're an observer, you know, the so-called uh, inter-rater inter uh, inter reliability mm -hmm. is very low. Is very low and uh, so and if you would do the same people uh, observe the same people a week later the inter-rater inter uh, intra-rater reliability meaning that you would give the same scores next week is also low oh interesting. So, uh, yeah and so that means the what we talked about the observed and real uh, variable so uh, the reliability of assessment centers is low so the highest reliability is cognitive testing plus personality testing. So we are scoring here between 73 and 80%, while assessment centers, on the other hand, are roughly between 40 and 50%. Now you bursted my bubble and I just go back in the corner and start No, but, but this is, you know, there, there, there are some misconceptions mm. which never die. For example, brain uh, um, uh, brainstorming, you know? Mm -hmm. Brainstorming is something which does not work. You know, I've, I've never, and there are so many studies in psychology which proves that uh, if you have a group of people and they sit in a room and they are brainstorming, it's really bad. It's groupthink. You know? Yeah, groupthink yeah. within given borders, like what is expected from me to say, you know, that could be what are the products that we offer to clients or what is the, do I need a little bit of spit licking to my boss and, and all these type of things. Yeah, exactly. And then you have always a bully there or, you know, Steve doesn't like Karen and then Karen doesn't say anything and, you know, stuff like that. So um, that's why, you know, these are some sort of these misconceptions. The good thing is that if you're doing these, these uh, testings, what we are doing uh, or using these tests, it's, it's much more economically uh, val valuable because it only takes a few hours and it's more reliable. So it's cheaper and better. So mm -hmm. uh, that's why I chose doing that. I think about paid internships as probably maybe the, I would say the the best in my experience for getting an assessment of a, of a candidate, but that's very time consuming and costly. Yeah. Like you're going to, you're going to spend three to six months giving somebody a, a chance to prove themselves. Whereas in three to six hours, you could get a, a relatively equivalent assessment of their future potential as an employee of the company. That's wildly different. <laughs> and you talk about decision-making, that's a shortcut that is, incredibly valuable yeah and and the thing is you know i work with a lot of um you know, let's say introverted people and uh, personally i like them you know i i would consider even myself as an introvert you know introvert does not mean that they're 
shy. It just means that they also like to be by themselves. But if somebody likes to be by themselves, that means that, you know, they like to think. So don't you want to have somebody who likes to think? Yeah, of course. So but so that's why, you know, these initial interviews, I don't really care for them. And I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter for me. For me, I, I like to look at what kind of personality profile they have. And then we build upon on that. You know, then you interview them uh, differently. Sounds good. So let's talk specifically about the areas you're looking to select from. So mm-hmm. I know you've got models that, that you use. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think we talked before about there's a few different areas you look at specifically. Let's break these down. Let, let's start to talk about sort of how this test assesses somebody and what components are important at a high level. And then we'll, we'll dig into them individually. Yeah. So just uh, because that got a lot of heat in the, in the media over the last let's say, well, that's 30, 40 years, because a lot of people misuse these tests. And, you know, when I went to America, it was ridiculous. I mean, they gave me a school placement test. I mean, as a German, you know, I had a few years of English. And uh, so they tested my English, but they also tested my math abilities. But they didn't account for me not being English speaker. Um, And then, you know, when I did the math test, you know, Ola knows that, you know, in Germany, we write the one differently than, than in America, you know, so it, for them, it all looked like a seven. And when you divide, you know, division, we, we, we just write division differently. So I had no idea what was the dividend and what was the divisor. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they placed me, uh, they gave me a 17% in math abilities, you know, and they put me in a class where I was like, you know, <laughs> uh, well, I, I didn't really belong there. So, but it took me the whole year to go from class to class to prove that I'm actually, you know, more knowledgeable in math. And then I, I ended up in analysis. Uh, and then they gave me a medal for math achievements because I rushed through the classes. But as an exa- this is an example. You know, if you use the right test on the wrong person, you know, it's um, it, it's not a it's not a it's not an accurate result. So what we are trying to do, we try to uh, we try to assess somebody um, as unbiased as possible. So if somebody's mother tongue is I don't know Syrian or Arabic, then we give them a test in Arabic, although they might have li- been living here for fifteen years. So that's what we're doing. Maybe we're at a point where it's uh, time after half an hour to have a little <laughs> break. So, but before we uh, give some time back to our listeners to think about some things, some questions that I'm going to ask, uh, let's just recap where we are. So we said, think about process, you know, um, look at the team, come up with the profiles, do an initial screening, and then invite people for the tests. And after the break, we're going to talk about how does that look in more detail. Um, But before we go there, uh, I would love uh, you, our dear listeners, to think about the structures of your team and how you have assembled teams in the past. You know, which different personalities and skills and attitudes do you find in your teams? And how do you today find the right people to staff your teams? We're going to leave you alone for a couple of seconds and we will be back after the break.
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for giving that a little listen. I mean, I really love that we have music interspersed with conversation and thought leadership. It really adds a little spice. And thanks again to our friend Jeremy Volts for these wonderful pieces of music. Now, I wanted to loop back on the subject of bias because I, I do want to get into the testing conversation itself, what what the contents of tests are. But just to, to throw that on the table, I know it's a sensitive topic. I mean, I got, I got a story myself. I, I was once tested for uh, math aptitude going into high school, and I came from an alternative school where we didn't really do much testing. And so... I remember getting drummed out of every school I tested into except for one. And then the very first year of that school winning all the math awards and going to math Olympics, I had simply never taken a standardized test before. And so I know that, you know, accounting for bias has been a lot of what you do. I, and I, know, I know there are also a few different bias styles. So when we take a look at like learning style, experience, taking tests, cultural backgrounds, contextual knowledge, and even just gaming, people gaming the test to try and get a different personality result and things like that. How do you accommodate for that? How do you address that with the way in which you approach testing? And let's close the issue that you've seen mechanisms that, that really do reduce or eliminate a lot of the structural bias that has been a scar on standardized testing. Yeah. Um, I mean, what we see nowadays, a lot of companies, they are using their own tests or the tests they develop. I would highly recommend not to do that because um, the tests we are using, we're working with a publishing house and it's a scientific publishing house. We have access to over 600 tests in 17 languages, but we know that every test we're using has mm. been, um, you know, has been highly scientifically, um, you know, tested itself. And there, there's a whole field in science called test, um, test construction, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, which just deals with the fact, is that a good test or not? We have a lot of reliabilities and uh, um, uh, other, you know, other variables we can look at if a test is good or not. I remember those painfully <laughs> because that was a you must pass this test test and never <laughs> do tests about tests by people who make tests. Exactly. So that really stinks. <laughs> That's a Russian nesting doll of tests if I ever heard one. Yeah, yeah. you know the R value and all those wonderful things. I I remember that very vividly. Yes, so so uh, you, you would give the same test in multiple different contexts to multiple different groups of people and try to make sure that the distributions align to, to say to show that this test is unbiased. Is that, is that what, what you do? Well, um, if you uh, behind every every test, there's a mathematical model and, uh, you know, psychologists, they love regression. So basically right. what we have is uh, we have the observed variable and then we have the real variable. And uh, then we have these regression factors, we, which we try to, you know, count in. Uh, for uh, for the result. And uh, what we do, I mean, these tests we're using, for example, the, the standardized personality test we are, we are using has been repeated and, uh, you know, mirrored in, I don't know, how many cultures uh, in different settings with age groups and, uh, you know, any kind of variable you can think of, they try to, uh, you know, they try to vary that uh, to, to get what we call stable, stable factors or in mathematical things terms, you know, where they, where the factors, they're not interacting with each other so that they are basically a 90 degree angle in, a, uh, you know, independent of each other. So, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the test we are using has been developed and improved for 60 or 70 years. So, and uh, a myriad of uh, scientific studies have been done on that. Um, when it comes to the cognitive ability testing, I mean, there's, 
this has been going on for over 100 years um and um but but there you know there, there are some which you know focus on one area where for example say does it does cognitive ability does it have a fluid factor or a crystallized factor um what we obviously want to have in cognitive abilities we want to split between uh what is your upbringing you know for example if you went to a amazing school and you know both your parents were a professor for history and they just bombarded you with knowledge um you know we want to you know separate these two things and say okay what did you you know what did god give you as a hardware and what did you do out of it because if we can't separate that uh, then social social factors always play a much bigger role in the result i'm seeing in you and uh, as a company i want to know you know is this person trainable or not and um, you know by, by separating these two factors i can see and I've, i've seen it in the past a lot of times somebody who has not been giving a lot of chances in life uh, but they have a very good ability to learn you know and if you if you teach them properly yeah that makes sense and and you mentioned cognitive ability as, as one of the areas so if we could drill down a little bit more what would be those areas that you want to look for when selecting your architecture team in the cognitive abilities we are looking for obviously uh, numerical abilities you know the ability to um, deal with numbers and with data mm-hmm. um, because transformation is a lot about concepts And what we see is that somebody who is very good in numerical abilities has also the ability for concepts. We're also looking, and, and that is something for, for verbal abilities or verbal cognitive abilities, mm-hmm. because it's, mm-hmm. it's all about language. Uh, the third thing, um, and, and we found that that is something when it comes to figural knowledge or the, the ability to think in 3D, you know, and uh, a lot of people who are uh, charging high on that, they have the ability to visualize um, you know, 3D models of a certain uh, process, which is very, very nice. Yeah, some abstraction. And, uh, yeah. Exactly. So, so this is the cognitive ability we are looking also, and this is very important nowadays for attention span, uh, because uh, you know, the, the, the younger people who are a lot on social media, they have a very low, they, they score a lot um, on that. Uh, so we want to have a good thing on that. And the, the, other, fi- the other areas, is um, personality where we go for emotional stability. Uh, transformational teams need to be um, emotionally stable. Um, they need to be able to, consci- to be conscientious. Conscientiousness is actually one of, next to cognitive abilities, one of the most important uh, factors we are looking for. Hmm. Because if you're not orderly, if you're not industrious, uh, if, you don't, you know, if you don't feel sold to a, to a task, Uh, then an unconscientious person is not something which you want to have as an employee. Yeah, we, we, we say something uh, at one of the one of the companies I work with um, slash run um, about the three principles of, of a, a person that we want to work with that are diligence, humility, and generosity. Exactly. I think those are, are really important characteristics that you're good at what you do, that you're interested and willing to learn, and that you're here to support a team exactly. without all three of those things, you know, you've, you've got people dropping off and in, in different aspects that make that team start to fall apart. Uh, you don't, no one wants to work with people who aren't good at their job. No one wants to work with people who don't want to listen and learn. And everybody hates those selfish people who just take everything for themselves. And, you know, we can whisper network about people who I call negative influencers all you want, 
but you know, or, or it, it starts to put a real crack in the foundations of an organization when you don't do this right. That, that's, and I, I think when you talk about emotional stability, that's another thing that's, that's really interesting. How do you test for emotional stability? That feels like, um, it feels like you have to put them under pressure conditions or you no, have no, to no, no. describe scenario. How do you test for emotional stability? So, well, we, we test for these five areas and next to the uh, emotional stability, we also test for sociability, which you just talked about. And one of one aspect of sociability is uh, being humble. And, um, and the other one is being open for new things. So if somebody's not open to new things, uh, then, uh, you know, they're not really good for a transformational team. We test what we do have is a 206 question uh, test and uh, it's a self self-describing test. And, and that that's where test construction comes comes in and where, you know, actually the power of that test comes in that we are not having a life, you know, uh, in vitro, uh, I pressurize somebody, you know, this mm -hmm. this personality test actually just is asked the people, you know, to describe situations from their past. And it's funny over the 206 questions that the results are very, very stable and very good towards um, the reality. If you're an existing team, we give also to, to your colleagues uh, these questionnaires describing you. And if you have this 360 degree thing, we put these things together and we get a pretty good picture of you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you don't do the, uh, how was it called? Uh, Kobayashi Maru test that is <laughs> happening in Star Trek, you know? <laughs> oh, the, the, listen, the Kobayashi Maru is, it has its function. Never forget that. You got to put people in situations that you see how they can best adapt to an unwinnable situation. Yeah. I, I dig that. I dig it, though. So let's put it together. Uh, so we heard uh, cognitive abilities, attention span, emotional stability uh, skills was one thing that you test for. Uh, anything else that you would look for when doing an assessment? Yeah, uh, the ability for uh, being logical. And, uh, oh, okay. The, yeah, oh, that's and overrated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only to only to roll in but but lo but logic does matter particularly in architecture and ai that that's a, a big piece of the puzzle yes and interesting and how, how do you once again how do you test for the ability to be logical is it those sort of like a is to b as c is to d or like yeah exactly so, so there are different types of uh, questions they have or for example you know the uh, uh you have like one, three, five, seven, what's the next number? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we, we try to deduct logic from all three areas. So from the verbal, the nu uh, numerical, and the uh, 3D visualization area. So we deduct logic out of that. So, so logic by itself is not an independent factor. Uh, but it's been deducted out of these three areas. Interesting. And, and actually, I had a question for you because I, I know I've gone through a couple of different these these tests as part of the job that I have. Is you know, this is it's fun for myself? Uh, I'm an ENFP to everyone out there who's who uh, loves the MBTI scale for for personalities. And one of the things we we did I think was really interesting was did a fit test person to person. So how much do you gauge these tests and sort of work them into what an overall team would look like? Or is it an individual candidate one at a time and then sort of scoring that person for the kind of role? So it's a you know, person to role or versus person to person? We do all together. So we have, uh, how does the, well, we normally a company, they have a really big problem to see how should that role be? 
So what right. we are actually taking, I mean, there, there are some general uh, rules out there, but I would not suggest using them uh, because they're very general profiles. So what we are doing is we're going into a company and, and say, okay, give me three people who really fit into that role. And uh, in your company, just not in another company, but in your company, um, mm-hmm. or, or just even one person, you know, it's like, this is the ideal bookkeeper. This is the ideal manager, you know, and then we take that as the ideal profile and then we test against that. So basically we invite ah. the person, we test that person too. And then uh, we, we see how they, how these two are different. And then after that being, you know, having all this information, then having the interview with the, uh, with a candidate, it's much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're fitting to role, which includes all the other factors, yes. the people, the, the responsibilities, the organization and its culture as a, as a whole, you know, the industry that you're in. Oh, that, that's interesting. So you're, so it isn't it's neither person to role flat or person to person. It is person to ecosystem. Exactly. That's super cool. I love it. I love it. So I, I wanted to go through the, you know, sort of the, the questions we ask when we talk about solutions all the time, which is a, sort of the, the who, what, when uh, questions. So if you're thinking about getting testing, if you're talking to an organization out there, when are the times in which you look to get testing? When does it make sense to reach out to someone like you and your organization to have this conversation? Most of the time people are coming because A, they don't fight the right person, you know, they have uh, tried to do it on their own and they just, you know, hired the wrong people. Um, just if you think about your company of, I don't know, 10 people or even 50 people and you have just one person who is toxic, you know, they can bring everybody down. So there's never a wrong time to start this because there's always somebody leaving, always somebody coming and assessing assessing the, the existing team on their roles, you know, Mostly when the people are coming, there's something wrong in in their company. Maybe the dynamics is wrong. Maybe they are getting hot, you know, blood pressure when they're having certain <laughs> weekly meetings, or uh, you know, something is not working. And uh, but but since the company is a living organism, you know, we always, you know, it's it's always good to start. And I've I've never gone to a company where I saw oh they didn't you they didn't need it. So what type of organizations are, and I'm thinking out loud here, uh, what type of organizations do reach out to you? Because the, the interviews that I went through, and I'm just thinking about the conversation that we had Jason when we were talking about recruiting and the typical process that, that mm-hmm. candidates go through, that typically does not include testing. So what type Sorry. of organizations, yeah, well... <laughs> Convince me <laughs> or convince all the organizations that listen to the podcast. Um, what are what is different with the organizations that do a test based approach and how do you see them succeed over organizations that would follow a traditional interview or role play or whatever approach? Well, mostly. Um, I mean, 80% of companies in a society are small to medium companies. So if you're looking at, at very big companies, for example, doing assessment center is a cultural thing, right? And they don't want to change. Um, or there's a company which makes so much money uh, that or they can burn a lot of risk capital mm-hmm. um, where, you know, where it doesn't really hurt to fail. Uh, but mostly companies come to me who want to 
improve themselves who are too small to fail, um, who have people in uh, critical situations and who just mm -hmm. want to be better because they're, you know, they're living or they're working in a competitive landscape. And the companies who are coming to me, they, they really want to have a solution. You know, there's no ideology. They just want to have a good team. They want to have everybody having a good time. They want to sell their product and, um, you know, they want to be good. So then the question is, what kind of outputs do you give them? I mean, obviously, the output that they want at the end of the day is a functional organization, a high performing, high functioning organization. But what what of to get them there do you provide specifically? Yeah. So um, I describe the new roles. Um, we, we test the new candidates. So we're very, very deeply ingrained in their recruitment process. Mm -hmm. uh, the output they get from us is, uh, you know, mostly no one is leaving the company. Um, so they don't have these, you know, outliers um, or they're getting, you know, satisfied. Uh, they're, the people are doing their job. They're not resigning and, uh, you know, they're just working and uh, they're just, you know, the whole company is just functioning. I think, but specifically, like, like, do you have reports um, that you provide? Like the so, so oh, you said yeah, the sure, job sure. description. I, when I was thinking outputs, I'm thinking like specifically like hard documentation oh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, or yeah. like assessments and guides and like scoring systems. I know, I know. When we talked before, you showed a little bit of a scoring system that oh, you yeah, use. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that's what we give. So, so basically, first of all, they get their job description, then they get their structured interview. Uh, then they get uh, afterwards a whole report of all the testing and they get um, uh, an assessment from me or another senior assessment manager uh, when it comes to how to read the graph properly um, because they are not psychologists, we are. So, um, And then we sit down with them, go through the report and uh, show them, okay, these are the green flags, these are the red flags. And uh, then they get also an um, 101 with a candidate where we uh, actually assess the candidate. Well, Ansgar, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, the question that I have in the back of my mind is obviously, well, how do you do this? Right, We're living in these special times, even though the majority of the world, or at least the Western world or the American world, has decided that COVID is over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everybody everybody meets in person. Well, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think one thing, one takeaway that we got from the pandemic is a lot of things happen now digitally. So how do you approach uh, the evaluation of candidates' situation in that digital, in that remote scenario? Yeah, so we developed a digital assessment uh, uh, center so we can test anyone uh, everywhere in the world. Uh, we are fully ingrained into, you know, remote first. And uh, because a lot of people or candidates we are interviewing, they're also, they want to work remote uh, with the companies. Mm -hmm. So so for us being 100% digital um, was our goal. And uh, I think this is really working with a lot of companies. And this, differentiates us also from, you know, traditional testing companies. Yeah, which I also think is, is obviously, I think, from my perspective, the biggest shift. You know, people don't want to go back into the office where they were treated badly and uh, whatever, spend hours in the commute and, and all these things. So organizations will have to change, which is obviously then also something that you will have to test for. Exactly. Yeah, and being able to do it digitally seems really advantageous. I mean, you, you talked about the human factor, but if you can put the data behind the human factor through a digital assessment, that that, that changes the game entirely. 
And, and I, I, I wanted to close out the section because I think, I think we've gone through some really interesting points on the assessments and I wanted to turn it back to our audience um, to think about the teams in their organizations. Um, so think about what you're doing, what, what's working well and what challenges are you seeing that come up as a result of personality, aptitude, skills uh, in the way you deliver. If you could work with someone like Ansgar and you know bring these sorts of testing into place, when, when would you engage and ultimately what change would you like to see? in outcomes of your organization from introducing testing along the way. We're going to leave you to think about that question uh, with some music. We'll come back in a couple moments with our thoughts, our conclusions, and a farewell to this episode. Welcome back. Before we go into the closing out of this episode, Ansgar, I do have one more question for you because we were talking about the individual who gets tested. Mm -hmm. We have not spoken about the manager, the supervisor, the person who is tasked to lead those people because I can imagine now they have the visibility into the different profiles of the people in those categories that we just described and they should take advantage of those, shouldn't they? Yeah, actually, they, they, they should because, uh, you know, leadership development, being a leader, being uh, somebody who is managing people, it, it's, a, it's a big word. But a lot of people don't really know what to do or how to do that. And, <laughs> you know, let's be honest. As a psychologist, we have to be honest. And, yeah. um, and, and leading people is not always the same. If you have a, a team of, let's say, software developers, you would lead them differently than a team of, of salesmen or saleswomen. And uh, so what we are doing is when we look at these profiles, we teach people specifically, or, or people are supervising, or, um, uh, they're managing people, we uh, teach them specifically how to lead different, let's say, people with different personalities or people with different cognitive abilities. Because if somebody, for example, somebody who's, let's call them smart, you know, they might seem lazy uh, to to a manager because they're, you know, they, they finish their task early and then they just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so so leading creative people, leading smart people, leading introverted people, leading people who are interested in a lot of things is completely different than uh, other profiles. So we it gives us the ability to teach leaders in seminars, in one, one and a half hour seminars to very, very specific topics. Um, and make them better, uh, better managers. Yeah, I remember that a lot of leaders are just people who were good at their job before, who have now been promoted to a very different job. Mm. One of my favorite examples, uh, my, my, my brother is a fantastic, uh, half brother is a fantastic coder. He's really good at coding and he was promoted to be the leader of all of the developers. But he's a really good coder. And now he suddenly had to learn all these brand new skills because the only thing he wasn't doing was coding. Mm -hmm. 
So as a leader, you need to be enabled to know how to teach and work with people like you, different than you. And those are skills that don't just automatically come about because you're the best at your job. Yeah. They come out through a concerted training, education, socialization, and awareness program that it sounds like, Ansgar, you've really got uh, as, as a part of your core offering for organizations. Yeah, JM, but I have seen organizations struggle, uh, and literally in the last two organizations that I worked, you know, where they, they have a career path being defined, you know, just like you described with your brother, you know, you get promoted up to a point where you might not be able to fulfill this, you know, the Peter principle. And I've seen organizations struggling with building out career paths for people who are not interested in the managerial role, right? To have somebody and, and organizations like Microsoft do that with the Microsoft Fellow Program, for example, where they're really good at their thing and they have an opportunity to grow into career ranks and salaries and all that stuff uh, by being good at what they're good for, right? And, and that yeah. is actually a big challenge. I, that's something, something we need to break in this industry. Stop giving people leadership roles just because of they're good at their job. Have them deliver more of what they do rather than asking to learn a brand new skill. Have people who are good leaders lead rather than good techni technical people pull them off the workforce to give them a job where they don't do their job that they're good at. That seems crazy, right? And in, in psychology, we have we have two, two theories which are actually working pretty well. You know, when you see people can develop uh, either hierarchically or in, in their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And we, we see in these personality profiles already, and that's why we, we also do testing when somebody wants to be, or we, when somebody wants to promote somebody else, we mm -hmm. test them first and we see in the personality profile if they would be a good leader or not, because there are trigger personality items which will indicate if somebody is going to massively fail, you know, yeah. or, uh, you know, or is, is going to uh, be is up for the challenge. Which is, uh, as you said before, organizations are living creatures, right? So yeah. move on and learn, right? <laughs> but having said that, very interesting conversation with you, Ansgar. So first yeah. of all, thanks uh, for being the guest on our show today. Um, th the one thing that I'm thinking about for the last, I don't know, 20 minutes now, What's next for Ansgar? You know, you you reached the pinnacle <laughs> of your career by being guest in our podcast here. So, well, the next thing, um, well, I, I just finished uh, finished my book about AI, so um, hmm. about uh, Pocket Guide AI, and uh, it's a painful process. <laughs> Uh, you know, in the publishing world, you know, to get it uh, to life, and uh, oh, you yeah. know, the, the, the 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 pace the pace of the publishing world is a little different than what I was expecting. So uh, you know, uh, let's see uh, when this is going to be published. So that's the next thing. And uh, but basically, when it comes to the company, we're working here on streamlining the experience for the user to make it more scalable, make us more accessible in the digital space. Um, we add a lot of uh, new languages, uh, which allows us also to have this, you know, remote um, testing much more. And also, as I said about uh, leadership, you know, using that for leadership development. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's that's uh, what what's the next thing coming up. So I hope in the next months uh, that there's some development. Well, I can imagine then that you want to double dip on your career. So we'll have you as a guest in a future episode. I can really see it once you have your AI book being finished. 
<laughs> thank, thank you. Well, it is finished. I'm, it just needs to be published. And uh, yeah, but but thank you very much, guys, for for having me. It was very lovely. Uh, you're you're great hosts, and um, you, you're doing a good show. Thank you. But uh, now, obviously, the ultimate question. Uh, I'm pretty sure we convince a ton of people that they need your services. How can people reach out to you? Yeah, I think the easiest thing is if you can just uh, pass my email to them or mm -hmm. they can go to um, to our website, pocketguide.ai or uh, to our other website called personio-partner.com because uh, we're also digitalizing uh, HR, HR processes and departments And we partnered up with uh, Pezzonio. Well, that sounds really fun. I'll certainly be going there after this interview. And hopefully all of you will too. And <laughs> that's me turning the spotlight back to you, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this show and for liking, subscribing, most importantly, sharing. So if you've liked what you've heard today or if you've watched or listened to anything else we've created, please make sure to share our podcast and our shorts with all of your friends across the industry, across industries, uh, and get more people loving and talking, liking, subscribing to the What's Your Baseline podcast. Now, of course, all of this information for the show are going to be available on our website at whatsyourbaseline.com, or if you're thinking specifically about this episode, the full transcript with all the links, including the emails and things like that, are going to be available at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 22. Well, thank you so much to everyone. Thank you to Anskar. Thank you to Roland. And until next time, friends, I've been J.M. Erlinson. I am Ansgar Bittermann. And I'm Roland Wolt. And we will see you in the next one.